Hello, everyone, and welcome to Vibrant Life Allies, the podcast that introduces you to various types of coaches, essentially people who can help you live life more vibrantly. Today's episode was particularly special to me because our guest coach, Heather Ryder, works with the same individuals that I do, essentially, Um, high-achieving women and also some men who struggle with high-functioning anxiety and perfectionism and how it can lead to anxiety, depression, and hold them back from achieving the things that they want in their life. And so since that is the background and the experience that I had, it was very interesting to me to speak to another coach in that area. And I learned some things as well. So that was interesting. And I knew that I would. So I was super excited. And this is just, you know, my heart to help people who are suffering with anxiety and perfectionism. So I really enjoyed today's episode and being able to speak with Heather. She brings a lot of interesting value and information to her coaching. She is um, known as the energy synergist because she works with energy healing. So that was new to me and it was very fascinating to learn about. And she also had some interesting things to say about managing emotions and the emotional ladder as well as emotional vocabulary. So I really enjoyed our talk and I learned a lot and I know that you will too. So definitely check that out. I think Anxiety is definitely something that we all are probably familiar with. And then, you know, perfectionism is another layer that many of us also suffer from. So great episode today. Check it out. If anything she says resonates with you or you feel that connection with her, I encourage you to take that step and reach out and to work with her. As we talk about many times, those same self-limiting beliefs and that inner critic inside is going to tell you not to do it and try to talk you out of it and avoid change and avoid that uncertainty. But I encourage you to listen and if you're having any of those struggles that you take that step and you reach out and um, work with her and transform your life or, you know, just dial something in, whatever it might be, you deserve to live a full, happy, healthy life. So let's pursue that and don't let anything stop you. And enjoy today's episode and go out and live vibrantly. I'm here with Heather Ryder today, the energy synergist. So Heather, um, why don't you tell us, tell us about yourself. Oh, hi. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I am an anxiety specialist and I'm currently living in Austin, Texas. And I am on a mission to help really goal-oriented and high-achieving women who are feeling a lot of dissatisfaction in their lives, primarily because of their anxiety. And so I just work with them to really create a vision for what they want, and they usually get a lot more than they ever expected out of working with me. So I get to see their lives transform, and it's super fun and amazing to watch. Absolutely. There's nothing better than being able to help someone through a, a, a transformation in their lives. It's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. So tell us a little bit more about what it is you do as the energy synergist. Right. So I have kind of an interesting approach to helping my clients because I'm not a therapist. Uh, I do coaching, but a big part of how I get them 
really amazing results that they haven't been able to get in other ways is I do energy work with them. So I'm working on their energetic bodies and energy system. Um, and to just briefly describe that, we basically store and embed past experiences and past traumas. And I say like little T trauma, big T trauma. We store that in our energy field and our energy system, and that uh, basically dictates our behavior. And so I'm healing things at the root source for people so that they are not kind of encumbered by uh, their past experiences anymore. So they get to be liberated and, and basically become different people. Wow. Okay. That, that's really interesting. So what is, what is big T, little T? trauma. Right. So I say that because, you know, when I say we store traumas in our energy field, a lot of people really discount their experiences and they think, oh, well, that's not traumatic because I know so-and-so and and she had this really terrible thing happen to her. And so they compare their life to someone else's life and say, well, I haven't had any trauma happen to me because I wasn't fill in the blank. And so those big things that we think of as traumas, that's why I say big T trauma, but all of us have had really significant experiences in our lives. And those are usually the things that we're discounting. And those are like the little T traumas. They're still very traumatic and really still limit us and hold us back. We're just not acknowledging the fact that they were traumatic instances. Absolutely. That's really interesting because, you know, I've, worked with psychologists and therapists. Um, I've tried everything on my journey to feeling better and dealing with my anxiety and depression before I found coaching. And they would try to dig in because they're like looking at everything that's going on with me. And they would say, you have trauma. (laughs) You know, this, all these are symptoms of trauma. And I was like, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I can't think of anything. And so I don't think we ever I have yet identified those, what the trauma was, but that's probably because of that discounting it because it wasn't to me as big as someone else's trauma might be. Yeah, exactly. And oftentimes these things really are hidden from us. Uh, You know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of limiting beliefs. It's like we're in the world and we experience something and we basically take that event and make a belief about ourselves or about life or about other people in that moment. And sometimes we know that, like we recognize, oh yeah, I know this thing happened and it really shaped who I am. But most often those are completely in the subconscious. And so we have, we don't recognize at all that something occurred to us really shaped who we are. And it's pretty logical though, if you think about the fact that like the perspective of a kid, it's like, if you look at something as an adult, you're like, oh, well, that's not a big deal, but it sure is when you're five. Right. And so it's like, yeah, we're discounting things. Even when we look back as adults at our childhood and thinking, oh, well, I wasn't abused or I wasn't again, like fill in the blank. And that's why we think we don't have trauma. But when you're little and your world is being really shaped by what's occurring to you, it is traumatic. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and sometimes you brush over it and you don't realize the imprint that it's made on you and how it's, how it's changed your life and, and created those, like you said, those self-limiting beliefs that affect all your actions and decisions throughout the rest of your life. Yep, exactly. So before we talk a little bit more about, you know, the things that you do and how you work with people, why did you become a coach? Yeah, so I have a pretty interesting path to where I 
am now, I used to work in technology in Austin and I had high functioning anxiety, which is basically hidden anxiety. Um, I looked really calm on the outside to people. And so no one would have guessed that underneath all of that, you know, surface stuff was total turmoil. My mind was constantly going all the time, either thinking about the past or projecting into the future. It's not really being present. Uh, I had a perfectionism. I had a little stint with uh, imposter syndrome in there. And then I wound up having a really severe autoimmune reaction that was triggered in part by, I mean, chronic stress and anxiety, but also a whole bunch of things that happened all at one time. And it just tipped my body over into getting sick. And so I wanted to take a natural and holistic approach to healing myself and also recognized at that time that the way that I had been being in the world wasn't working for me anymore. It just like really confronted some of my deep stuff. And so I just started on a healing path. And part of that included uh, eventually seeing an energy healer uh, here in Austin. I didn't know anything about that. Someone recommended it to me. And I actually didn't go see someone for a year because I didn't know what it was that they were talking about. And so I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And then it popped into my mind one day. I was like, oh, I should go try that thing that woman talked about. And that was really a huge pivotal moment for me because I had a really amazing experience. And so I just started to unravel all of my old junk from that energy healing session and some subsequent ones after that. And so, you know, I kept working at my job in technology for a number of years and it eventually became apparent though that I wasn't supposed to be doing that anymore, that my path out to healing myself had changed me so much that I was supposed to help and am, that's like my life purpose is to help basically former versions of me, like really high achieving goal oriented women who are recognizing that their lives just aren't working. So that's what I am doing now. I left that corporate job um, about two-ish years ago to work full-time on what I'm doing right now. That's amazing. And I had I'd spoken with someone recently about that. It's interesting how the trials and the things that we go through in our lives can create for us a, a story and an experience that allows us to help other people through that. That's beautiful that you've turned that into a way to help other people. Can I make a comment about that? Because I think this would probably help your listeners is to just know that your life is by design and that the things that are happening or have happened that seem really terrible are actually, (laughs) they're lessons for you and that it is to help shape who you are now and that you can't be the person that you are supposed to be without having had those lessons. And so that's kind of like reflecting on what I said of that that moment in my healing journey where I was like, wait a minute, I'm being confronted by all this stuff. It was now I recognize like that I couldn't be here where I am right now if all of that stuff hadn't happened. And that's part of why I attract the clients that I attract is that they really resonate with who I am. Like they can see part of themselves in me. And so it's, you know, really motivating and inspirational because they can say, wait, she's so similar to me and look where she is now. Like if she can do it, then I can do it. Right. Right. And you know, I I had never really thought about that for a long time in my life. And and I think a, a lot of people feel this way. When I thought about what I wanted to do with my life, I was like, well, I want to help people. I had nothing beyond that. You know, I didn't know how I wanted to help them. And after 
I went through the things that I did and I got help through coaching. Then everything clicked. This is what I meant to help people with is, you know, getting through with struggling with high functioning anxiety and perfectionism and that kind of stuff. And so I never really connected that to my struggles. I didn't know how to help until I went through that. And that is what got me here. And I'm good with that. You know, I'm glad that I can help other people who are struggling with that. So. Yay, that's awesome. <laughs> that, that, that's great for both of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Part of your story that also stuck out as interesting, you know, you were going through the hidden anxiety and all that kind of stuff. And you finally sought the help when it affected your body and you started having those physical things too. And that was kind of similar for me. I have always had anxiety and depression and OCD. And I thought that it was, you know, strong, the strong thing to do to just keep going and fight through them and deal with them on my own. I didn't want any help. I didn't want to take medication. And so it wasn't until I started suffering from chronic pain and then I couldn't manage the pain and the mental side. I, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I had to break down and start looking for help. And that's what, you know, started my journey to finding help. And so that's really interesting that, that you also came to that physical part before you found energy healing. So I would just you know like, what I like to say is yes. that the universe gives us little nudges, right? <laughs> and then ignoring we ignore them, <laughs> then we'll get a brick thrown at us. And so it sounds like that happened to both of us. It's like, oh, we tried to play nice with you, but you wouldn't listen. So, okay, I guess we're just really going to break down your entire world so you can't ignore it anymore. Right. And, and that's one thing I like, I like to bring up to encourage anyone who might be listening. You don't have to get to that really rock bottom type place before you, you hire a coach and you get help. If you're just struggling with anxiety or depression and just a little bit of that starting to have more down days than up days, you know, go ahead and start working with someone and get that help. You know, yeah, you're worth it. I, yes, you are worth it. And also I just want people to recognize that when they're in that state, cause this is totally normal for everyone of like, Oh, I can do it on my own what we're doing is being in resistance and it's our ego that's trying to keep us safe because we know we're not happy, but we at least we know what to expect. We're doing it every day and there's something on the other side of it that's unknown and that's scary. And so your ego will just try and convince you to stay where you are, even though you're not happy. And I mean, I've had clients come to me been like, Oh, I've been looking at your website for eight months. You know, I mean, and sometimes longer, it's just like they, and, and it takes so much courage sometimes to really reach out and to acknowledge that you can't do it on your own. But yes, we're both saying the same thing. Like, yeah, don't let yourself get really, really sick. I mean, if you're recognizing you need help, like if, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably acknowledging that something's not working in your life and you don't have to get to that point where, yeah, something, I mean, it doesn't have to be your physical body. It could be your marriage falls apart, right? It could be something else. Like you don't have to get to that point to address it. Just recognize like, oh, I'm just trying to keep myself safe, even though that makes no sense. And I'm going to take the next courageous action, whatever that is. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's like, we think that it's strong to do it on our own, but if you compare it to like a, a coach for a sport, if someone wants to get to the Olympics, they're not like, well, okay, I got this, 
right? They hire a coach yeah. outside perspective to tweak those things and, you know, to get them to that next level. And so it works the same way with having, you know, a life coach. You don't have to do it all on your own. You know, you can have that support and help you up to the next level. Yep. So we kind of talked a little bit about it, but who do you work with? High functioning anxiety, but like you said women or. Yeah. I mean, I, I do have the occasional male who comes to me, but it, I, it's probably 96, 97% women. And they are definitely, you know, established in their careers generally, uh, really career oriented. A lot of them are married with children. If they're not married with children, I mean, that is something that they want for themselves one day. But yeah, it tends to be women in their early 30s to probably mid 50s most of the time. And every once in a while, you know, there's an entrepreneur in there, but almost all of them are working a corporate job. And I do work with clients from all over, but the ones that are in Austin, since this is a big tech town, they tend to work in technology also. And that's, you know, part of what I said, like, they resonate with the fact that I worked in technology because, you know, tech speak is very logical and analytical. And there is a huge part of me that, yeah, like I'm goal oriented still and all of these kind of certain things about me, but I have a really different perspective. And so women who work in that sort of industry that tends to be, you know, male dominated and kind of like masculine energy, they operate in that world. And so the fact that I understand that world is helpful to them. Okay, absolutely. So what is kind of like then the process? Like when people come to you, what is it that they're kind of like saying? What are the common issues that they're bringing to you? Yeah, they're definitely health is comes up a lot, although they're not necessarily coming to me for the health issues. They're just recognizing, oh my gosh, I'm having a lot of chest pain a lot of the time. I can't breathe they'll talk about how they're fine at work in terms of like their work production, but they kind of can't turn it off, right? Like they go home and they can't stop thinking about work. You know, their mind is just sort of racing all the time. They feel like they can never relax. They have trouble with insomnia because their mind is going so much. They uh, sometimes are recognizing, as I mentioned, relationships aren't working well. Uh, They don't mention and their husbands as much as their kids if they are moms for some reason. And sometimes they even are recognizing that they are feeling held back in their job because there's just this kind of thought of like, you know, I'm giving it all I've got, but is it good enough? And they're also sometimes, I think, afraid to move up even further because they're so overworked that they're thinking, well, if I went up to the next level, what would happen? Because I can't handle it right now. And so they're afraid of going even further because they think, well, I don't have the capacity mental or like physical to do this anymore. There's a lot of overworking, I guess is a way to say it. A lot of overworking in their life kind of everywhere. Wow. Yeah. And so that's really important that they learn to manage that anxiety because they do want to go up to that next level, but they just feel like they can't. That's really important that, you know, they've gotten so far and now it's, it's holding them back. And then it was interesting when you're talking about how anxious they are at at work and everything. I had gotten to a point with my anxiety that was so normal to be just stressed the whole day at work that I would actually only start to have panic attacks when I was relaxing. So usually I was at home at night when I finally tried to let the day go, watch some TV with the family, 
And then I would just all of a sudden start having a panic attack (laughs) because, yeah, because my my body was like, wait, 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 (laughs) you know, why are we not going, going, doing what we don't know what to do with this. You're not moving or thinking or yeah. It's like, we're not allowed to relax. There must be something wrong. I have to stay in this heightened state all the time. Yeah. It it was like, surely something is wrong. Something is about to get us. We cannot let down for a second. So yeah, I can relate to that kind of anxiety. And then, you know, it's holding you back from that next step because you can't take anymore. So this is very common in women and in these corporate jobs. Why is it that this anxiety kind of exists? What's causing that? Yeah. So, I mean, fundamentally what's underneath all of this is the repression of our emotions of not recognizing that we're having an emotion. And if we do have an emotion, we're pushing it down. This is what I see a lot. It's like people not having the vocabulary to describe what they're feeling, but they have literally been turning off their emotions for so long that they don't even know that they're having it. And so the extension of that is the anxiety or like you said, panic attacks, because then your body is so used to turning everything off, you either become completely numb. So you're not feeling the quote unquote difficult emotions, but you also can't feel the positive ones either because you're trying to modulate and stay somewhere in the middle, which is impossible, right? And so it's like, they're like not happy at all either because they're not allowing themselves to feel any emotion. But then there's also when an emotion is happening, there is an actual body sensation that comes with it. And so people start to get really, really afraid of the sensation that comes with the emotion. So they try to turn that off when their body is just letting them know like, hey, you have an emotion that's coming up for for you to acknowledge and feel. And they're like, nope, that's not okay either. And so then that causes panic attacks as well. So, I mean, it's just really this core fundamental thing that it it sounds so simple when I describe it, but it's not like in practice, letting yourself feel an emotion and acknowledge it and be able to name it is some serious stuff that's not happening for my clients. So we kind of have to start at the very beginning, a lot of the time of like being able to do the things I just said, plus combine that with some core Uh, work that I was describing at the very beginning of when we started talking about, well, like what's underneath that? What's the little T or big T trauma that has happened in your life that is making you feel like you can't have an emotion? Because there's something that happened along the way that's basically causing that behavior that's making it feel like it's not safe to have the emotion. Absolutely. Yeah. You're trying to avoid feeling a certain way with all these other actions and it builds up and it doesn't actually, you know, like you repress it, but it's actually like building a dam and it's going to come out at some point, whether it's physically or, you know, an emotional outburst or something, probably when you least expect it and make you feel even more out of control. Right. Or even the repressing can be the physical things. I mean, that you and I mentioned as well of like getting sick. If you don't acknowledge and process the emotion, something's going to happen. Eventually will. It it can't be hidden forever. There is a price to pay for that. Yes, absolutely. And it's so fascinating that so much of what we do is either pursuing outside sources to feel good or avoiding things that we think will cause an unpleasant emotion. And like you said, it, it actually leads to that numbness and that inability to feel happy because 
you keep pressing it and trying to get it to that neutral spot and it, it just doesn't work. Yep. So managing emotions is obviously very important to managing anxiety. What are some ways that people can work on managing their emotions? Well, one thing I like to tell people is, um, this is a little abstract, abstract when I first describe it, but just go with me is when we're feeling a specific way that doesn't feel good, oftentimes we want to feel better and we're expecting ourselves to, you know, that expression like snap out of it or just get <laughs> over it, which doesn't right. work. You can't snap out of it. And so if you are in a state in um, an emotion that's unpleasant or difficult, what you can do that's much more realistic and manageable is what I call climb the emotional ladder. So this is where it gets a little abstract, but makes sense when I describe it. So um, emotions have an energetic frequency. They can be either contracted, low level, dense. Um, fear is one of the lowest level, densest emotions. It feels really awful. And then at the very top of the spectrum, the highest vibration expansive emotion is gratitude. So like if you're in a state of fear, you're not going to be able to shift all of a sudden into gratitude. That's just not going to happen. But if you, you can look these charts up, um, I actually have one on my website is that the emotional frequency scale, and this sounds funny, but anxiety is actually a higher vibration emotion than fear. So if you're feeling fear, can you start to feel anxious about something? <laughs> because you've actually improved in terms of getting to a better emotional place. And annoyed is a higher vibration than anxious. So can you take yourself from feeling fearful to feeling anxiety to feeling annoyed with something? And that's why I chuckle because like, who wants to be annoyed? Well, annoyed is actually better than being afraid of something. And so you can just work your way up this ladder. It probably is not going to be immediate, but if you can be like, oh my God, right now I'm really, really scared. How can I shift this up? And the next question would be, well, how can you shift your emotion to climb the emotional ladder? Well, it's actually just anything that makes you feel better. So it could be going for a walk. It could be dancing. It could be doing some art. It could be calling a friend who always makes you feel better if you have pets, right, of like pet your cat, pet your dog, this does not have to be something that is out of reach or unrealistic. It's just anything that makes you feel better. It's like you need to acknowledge, okay, I'm feeling whatever right now. I'm, I'm recognizing it's not healthy. I don't feel good. What can I do immediately to make myself feel a little bit better? And then when you just start practicing that over and over, then you're climbing the emotional ladder. And eventually, you actually won't be down at the bottom as often. You won't be in a state of fear as often if you're constantly doing this. So these are some techniques that are, again, like it sounds so simple, but in practice, it's actually challenging at first. But if you commit yourself to doing it, you start to see some pretty big improvements in your life. That's fascinating. I, I've never heard of the emotional ladder. I teach with thought work. And some people call it a thought ladder, but I call it thought stairs. You know, a lot of people struggle with positive affirmations. And that's because they're trying to go from a thought of like, I'm worthless to I'm the best. And the brain doesn't believe it, that jump. So, you know, saying I'm the best every day 
it's not really affirming anything because your brain's not believing it. So we teach steps. Like you go to a neutral thought, like I'm okay, <laughs> you know, or it doesn't sound like a very encouraging thought, but it's better than I'm worthless. And yeah, so, or no, or nobody likes me. It's like, yes. wait a minute. I actually do know there's three people that like me and I can list their names. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so, so then you can start stepping up because yeah. you can't just, yeah, that's great. So we're both doing the same like kind of concept just in a different way. Yeah. Because you can't go from the bottom to the very top. It's not going to work at all. You can't do it. And so what can you do to get up? So I love that you're like talking about the affirmations, but yeah, anything that is recognizing I'm way down here on the bottom, you've got stairs, I have a ladder, right? But it's like, <laughs> I'm down here on the bottom. Yeah. I'm not going to go all the way up to the top. I can't even see the top. So what's one rung up or what's one step up? But yeah. Yes, absolutely. You can't see what you don't believe. Mm -hmm. So that would be like trying to just jump off of, you know, like take a leap. Okay. And you can't see the ground. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, you take those, those little stairs or the ladder and you, you can see more. And that's great to, to think of it that way. I, I will have to look at that chart because I, I can see how that would help. Like you said, you're in fear, you're in fight or flight or you're, or you're frozen. Whereas at least if you move up into anxiety, you can actually, you know, move a little and have some thought start kicking in, you know, instead of just that survival mode. Um, yeah. So I definitely could, can see how that would work. And that's, that's very interesting. But of course, a practice, something that you have to do regularly and learn to apply. And, yes. and that's where coaching can come in to help you take those steps and stick with it until it, it clicks for you. And so similar to this and how, you know, the anxiety and the motion, um, emotional management comes up, and you kind of mentioned self-limiting beliefs, but let's talk about the inner critic and how that affects that anxiety and kind of revs that up. Yeah, we're just so mean to ourselves in our head, right? The things that we say to ourselves, if we make a perceived mistake, it's like, oh, you're, that's so stupid. Why did you do that? You shouldn't have done that. You should know better. It's like we have this dialogue going on in our head where we're talking to ourselves like that and we don't even recognize that we're doing it. And if you think about that, the things that you're saying to yourself, you wouldn't say to somebody else. Like if you have kids, you wouldn't be like, oh my God, you're so stupid. I can't believe you did that. You should know better than that. Why did you do that? Like if you think about saying that to somebody else or like somebody you work with, you'd get fired <laughs> You know, if you said that at work. But that's what you're doing to yourself all the time. And so it really comes down to, I mean, our relationship with mistakes and I'm like using air quotes around mistakes. It's like we are expecting ourselves to be doing everything perfect all of the time. And if we don't do our level of perfection, which, you know, of course doesn't exist. There's no perfect, by the way, if anyone's listening and they think, oh, I'm just going to get to perfect, that doesn't exist. Absolutely. And so then we make them, yeah, we make a mistake and then we start beating ourselves up and we just have this dialogue in our head. And so the first thing is you do have to recognize you're doing it. Um, I mean, and I've done a lot of work so I can actually recognize it now. Like to give an example, oh gosh, maybe a month ago, I went over to someone's apartment and he has a garage in front of his apartment. He's like, there's not very much parking there. And he said, oh, you can just park in the like garage spot. And he was at an end unit by this brick pillar 
And I thought I had enough clearance when I was parking in front of it. And I didn't, I scraped my car. And so, you know, it's just sound of metal on brick. I was like, Oh my God. And so I didn't know how bad it was. And I was like, I'm not parking here. Oh my gosh. You know, so I backed up and I just went and found a parking spot and I'm getting, while I'm driving to go to a parking spot, just like Heather, you're an idiot. Why did you think you can get in there? That was way too close to that brick wall. Like, why did you even think that was okay? Right. And then I got out of my car and I was like, and looked and yes, the paint is scraped. It has to be fixed. But then I caught myself. I was like, wait a minute, Heather, you're not an idiot. I'm in my mid forties. I've never been in a car accident. I've had like, I've, you know, did a little fender bender thing before where I backed into a car and you know, that sort of stuff. I'm actually a great driver, you know, out of like, out of all the thousands of times I've driven, eventually something like that's going to happen. And so that's what I shifted to was like, wait a minute, you're not an idiot. You're actually a good driver and it's just a car. And luckily you can afford to get it fixed. And, you know, like, so then I had to shift from that inner critic into being like, whoa, wait a minute. And then, so I call the opposite of that, the number one fan. So it's like, recognize when your inner critic is talking and then be like, wait a minute, I'm calling BS on that. And then start talking to yourself with a number one fan who's really going to boost you up and say the contrary things to that. And so you just have to, again, practice it a lot. And whenever the inner critic is coming out, can you flip the dialogue and be like, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not going to let you talk to me that way. <laughs> you know, you're like telling yourself, uh, -uh we're not doing that. I'm going to give myself you just said affirmations, but yeah, something better that is talking to yourself in a much nicer way. Absolutely. That was interesting when, when you were talking about, you know, how you would beat yourself up, but, but not a coworker, you know, and I thought about how many times you send an email and then after you hit send, of course, you see that typo and mm -hmm. you're, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm an idiot. I'm going to get fired. I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to even pay my bills. And you start this horrible catastrophizing over this small thing. And also, like you said, you've probably sent 50 emails today, hundreds that week, and you had a typo on one, and now you're a complete idiot. Whereas if you got one from a coworker with a typo, you wouldn't be like, oh, there's Karen. She's an idiot. She's going to get fired today. <laughs> You know, you, yeah. just, you wouldn't think like that, but you do when it's yourself because of that harsh inner critic. Yep. And, and I definitely like the number one fan. I'm sure that does take practice. I, I use uh, what I call the self-compassion avatar. So mm. mine is my niece, you know, because I love her unconditionally. So I like to think of when I start beating myself up, like what would I say to her in this situation? I most certainly wouldn't tell her that she's an idiot and you know, she's never going to get it and she should give up. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. So again, see you and I both have like different techniques to get at the same thing. Cause when I think of the number one fan, I do think of it as like, um, I mean, it sounds kind of hokey, but like somebody who's on the sideline, totally cheering for you and like with pom poms and being like, you can do it like that, you know, <laughs> it's, but it is like, we need to literally think of the inner critic as like a separate entity from ourselves. And then when you're reframing to the number one fan, it's like you have a placeholder for the inner critic. So instead of talking with the inner critic, you're talking with your niece, right? And so it's the same like externalization kind of process which is really useful in this instance. 
Absolutely. And I think that you could definitely, I, I see the benefit of, of building up to that number one fan because it's, it's going even another step and not, you know, just loving yourself and having compassion for that human moment where you, you screwed something up, but reminding yourself that that is actually not the norm, like the inner critic wants you to believe, that you have all these other amazing things that you've done and that you can do that, you know, cheering you on to keep going and doing great things. So I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to start working on my cheerleader. (laughs) (laughs) So we've talked about a lot of the things that go into anxiety and creating that for people. What are some things that people listening before we, you know, get into, of course, working with you, but what are some things that they can start putting into practice now to help with their anxiety or to help them manage their emotions? Well, I definitely do want people to look up emotional frequency scale because it's a visual and you can't see it while uh, we're talking, but it's useful to see that as a visual image so that you can see what the spectrum of emotions is. And then I also think it's great for people, uh, as I had mentioned this as well, to learn how to develop an emotional vocabulary. And so again, gazillion internet hits on that. If you look up emotional vocabulary chart or sheet or something like that, it's just lists of words of emotions and starting to recognize the nuance of emotion. And so like, there's a spectrum, right? You could go anywhere from irate to furious. It's not just mad. And so we've got to realize there's subtle distinctions in there and you have to have the vocabulary to describe them. And I have definitely found that some of my clients, this is a core level thing that they just don't possess. They just are not considering the spectrum of emotions that they're having and think that really there's only like five or six that they're having in a day when there's actually a lot more. They're just very nuanced. So I think that's another thing that could be useful to people is to look up emotional vocabulary sheet or chart so that they can see what I'm referring to. These are some fundamental things that are kind of first steps that have to take place because, you know, as we've mentioned, you can't jump from where you are to a much higher place. You have to do some like foundational work. Absolutely. And then learning that, you know, in your own life, your ability to interpret and understand your own emotions and have that vocabulary it's crucial for you and then you can't understand and you know other people's emotions if you know you haven't practiced even you know having the vocabulary and the understanding of your own emotions so i mean that increases your whole emotional education um, resilience and and literacy i guess would be a way to think of that Absolutely. Okay. So they can check out the emotional frequency scale so they can, you know, start working with moving down that scale and then practice understanding their emotions and linking those to those physical sensations that we talked about earlier. That's also an interesting thing because sometimes, like you said, the the body starts giving you these hints and notes of what you're feeling before you realize that you're feeling it. So, you know, you connect those these physical sensations and they mean this, you know, you can name that emotion, like you said. So I also noticed in your notes, I think online, it said, and I'm going to say this wrong, but you're a Reiki, Reiki master. Yeah, I'm a Reiki master. Reiki. So Reiki is, yeah, Reiki is a energy 
healing modality. So that's just one of the tools that I use with my clients. Is that something that they can picture over just hearing it? Like what, what does that entail? Yeah, this is definitely more abstract to describe. So I mean, going back to our beginning conversation where I was talking about how we embed and store um, past or experiences in our energy field and our energy body. Um, we have an energy field that surrounds our body. If you put your arms out from side to side, it's a radius about that far around. And then you have a chakra system. Um, chakras have become a little bit more mainstream, especially since yoga, yoga, yoga became popular. And so Reiki is an energy healing modality. There's lots of different modalities, but it's just a way for me to connect to someone's energy system and energy body so that I can work on those past experiences and traumas that have been stored there. So basically, it's just a form of healing um, to work on the foundational issues. Okay, interesting. Does that um, relate to like how you store your stress or, or pain in any way? It could. Um, that's probably a bit more uh, than we have time to chat about today, but that oh, definitely sure. yeah, has probably has something to do with it for sure. Absolutely. So it's very interesting to me that the energy healing and, and things like that, because I don't have a lot of experience with that. So that's something that obviously if people are interested in, they should reach out to you because it sounds like it's very in-depth, personal type work that you do. Yes, definitely. So what do you do right now? Like what is your process with, with your clients? So I work with clients individually, and then I also have a, a group program that I am running now. So there's a couple of different options for people. Obviously, one is I get to know somebody incredibly well, and then the other one is group work can be really powerful. I don't know if you have ever done like part of group coaching or something like that, but working in a group is great for people who really love to talk with other people or sometimes not even necessarily but it's just a way to get like community support. And then also because I do energy work with people, when I am facilitating energy work as part of a group, it actually magnifies the effects. I know this is a little abstract. It doesn't dilute it. It actually magnifies it because of everyone's energy field. So people in group work are also allowed um, and get very amazing results because of the group energy. So yeah, it's just two kind of different approaches that I take working one-on-one -on -one with people, working with groups of people. I guess that kind of summarizes it. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think the the one-on-one -on -one work is, is very crucial to really digging in to those the self-limiting beliefs and working on the inner critic or, you know, with you learning to process up that emotional ladder. And then I think one of the benefits of group work that I have learned is when people hear similar experiences um, that they're having from someone else, it shows them that there's nothing wrong with them, you know, because people tend to think that there's something wrong with them, that they're broken, you know, and that they're alone in these struggles. So when you're working with that group and you hear, you know, you, your struggles coming from someone else, it's empowering because you realize this is common, this is normal, and we can work on this and I'm not just broken. Yeah, two things that I hear in yeah groups, what you just said to like phrases that I hear is, oh, I thought it was just me and I'm not alone. Like those two phrases come up a lot because people do think that it's just them <laughs> or they right. feel like they're alone in it. And then when they 
yeah, come together like, oh my gosh, your story sounds so similar to mine. And so then it is really enlightening and does make you feel better instead of, it's not a pity party. It's actually the opposite. It's like, oh my gosh, I have support because most people are kind of hiding this stuff from other people, right? And they're not talking about it. So they have no idea that there's so many other people that are similar. And so it does tend to be really supportive. Absolutely. And I think that support and that understanding can be particularly important for people with high functioning anxiety or other issues because they tend to not want to reach out and not want to share with other people because they think, you know, well, they're going to say that I shouldn't feel this way, you know, because they're looking at the high achieving part, you know, that I have this corporate job and I'm doing all this. They're not going to understand, you know, what my deal is. (laughs) But when you get in that group of common individuals and you're all struggling with that, then you're able to open up and really share what's going on so that you can heal. Absolutely. So is there anything that we haven't talked about yet or covered or just anything you would like to say to anyone who might be listening that is, you know, a high functioning person struggling with anxiety or, you know, that harsh inner critic, what would you say? Yeah. I mean, I just want people to know that their lives really can be joyous. I'm not just saying that like rosy cheesy. I mean, really that if they want their life to be something different any glimmer or vision that they have had for themselves, that's fully possible and that's fully achievable. And I mean, it's your life, right? So you might as well make it a great one. And there is a way to get, there is a way to get out of the way that you're feeling now in, in a manageable way and a way that is consistent where you feel way better the majority of the time. Right. Absolutely. You know, there's pain in life. There are things that happen, but you don't have to live in that. And, you, you know, there are tools to process that and be able to manage it and not fear it, you know, and spend your whole life avoiding it. You know, you can learn to process the bad and really enjoy the good. Instead yeah, and of, rebound, you know, rebound really quickly when that stuff comes. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I think a lot of people are surviving their lives. And so, you know, what we've talked about today is is a way that you can help them thrive and really enjoy their life. Like you said, it's this one life and it's yours. (laughs) You should make the most of it while you, you know, while you're here. While you're here. You don't have to suffer, essentially. So that's very important. And I hope that anyone who's listening and, and struggling with this, will reach out to Heather and take that step, get that momentum going, that action. Don't let that voice tell you that you're not worth it. You shouldn't invest in yourself. There's going to be that because that's what you're used to. But take that first step and, and contact Heather and experience that transformation that you're searching for. So thank you for that. Sure. No problem. Okay. Anything I missed? Before we end for today. I don't think so. I hope that your listeners got a lot out of it. We, we talked about a lot of things. So hope some, some nugget in there was good and practical and useful for them. Absolutely. I definitely think that you brought value today. I know that there are things that we talked about that I want to put into practice. You know, the number one fan, checking out that emotional ladder and how to work on, on shifting those emotional frequencies. That's good information. That's really good. Awesome. I really appreciate you being here. Oh, you're welcome.